What's up and welcome to episode number 229 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, July 8th, 2021. Um, no, We're back. We're back, <laughs> but I'm a little disheartened. Um, not one single police welfare check call to the podcast. <laughs> uh, not one single, hey... Are you guys still alive? Uh, I mean, this podcast could have been lying dead on a floor for two weeks and not a single one of you motherfuckers came and checked on us. <laughs> I think it's because they, they know the drill. <laughs> that we um, that we just post whenever the fuck we can. Yeah, we just post whenever the fuck we can at the moment. Yeah. Um, so since it's been a while, um, I'm just going to jump into things uh, on my end. I'm doing fine. Uh, but I'm really frustrated with First Advantage Corporation, who's uh, this third party that's working on the background check for my second job that I accepted, but the background check is taking forever and a fucking day. Uh, it's t- it's took close to three weeks to get to the point where it's saying additional handling required. Well, I hope all that works out for you, Mike. Uh, I guess uh, what happened, the newest thing that happened in my life is I bought a, a uh, band van for touring. Yay. So so watch out for Dancing with Ghosts in a, in a city near you. Sorry, Eggman, I'm, here I am promoting my band again. Apologize for that. I know that drives you so crazy that, that I would have the gall on my own podcast to promote my band. But yeah, Dancing with Ghosts, YouTube.com, Spotify. But yeah, are you a, gonna do any decals? Are you gonna? Uh, I yeah, I might. I think I'll do uh, decal. I ordered a va- a a, DJ, a custom DWG vanity plate for the front of the van. So oh, okay, a little, cool. little pimp cool. action there. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, if you have good credit, it's pretty easy to buy uh shit and get and get good loans and all that at good interest rates from uh, credit unions. So uh, the tip to you kids out there: get get that credit score number higher. And life will be easier for you. But anyway, you know, uh, you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you, you know I've become a little bit obsessed with Scientology. So imagine my fucking delight when out of the blue, out of the blue, Mike sends me this link saying there's another Scientology documentary out. And I'm like, holy father Christmas, my gift has come early. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about a new Scientology documentary called Over the Rainbow. But this is one of those uh, documentaries that wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, a really nice gift under the tree. This was... This was... um, So this is retelling of a... I just listened to a Casey Kasem um, murder mystery thing. Uh, and and his daughter was asking him clues about what her Christmas gift was going to be, and she thought it was a car. And he said, "All right, I'll tell you the first tent. It's metal." And she's like, "All right, great." The second week, what's the second hint? It has keys. Oh yes, it's keys. Third hint, what color is it? It's uh, silver. All right, fine. Not my favorite color in the world, but he got me a car, and it's you know silver colored. And then when Christmas comes and you think you're getting this awesome gift, this awesome documentary, what was Casey Kasem's daughter's gift on Christmas? It was a typewriter because it's metal, it was silver, and it had keys. So that's a pretty 
analogous to what this movie was. I was expecting. I, I would say I would think a typewriter would be a better gift than what this ultimately was. This might as well have been a box of shit. This was an analogy, though. <laughs> You're expecting a car and you get a fucking typewriter. I'm expecting a great documentary, and I get um, you know somebody filming uh, their child's high school play um, on a shitty camcorder. <laughs> so yeah this movie man i don't even know where to start with it i mean uh, i i can i can i can start because i just uh watched it uh very recently um so it's called over the rainbow and uh it's directed by this guy named jeffrey uh Piexoto. uh this this guy to me personally should not be directing <laughs> Uh, he doesn't know how to uh, create the right structure for a documentary because there is none in Over the Rainbow. None whatsoever. Uh, he also doesn't know how to maintain the right tone. There's a lot of moments in this that make you laugh, but not in the way that I think it's intended to. I don't think you're supposed to laugh at these scenes. It's just how poorly... Uh, edited the film is and how the tone doesn't mesh with uh, the rest of the scenes in terms of how they're put together. Uh, a prime example of this is there's a sequence there's an interview with a, uh, a woman named Laura and she talks about uh, this time where she was abused physically uh, when she was at the Scientology farm and she's crying and she's talking about how I would never do this to my kids if I had any, and then quick cut to a shot of a dog in a field. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, and and speaking about, like, n the director not knowing how to set a tone, my overall, I guess, takeaway from this movie was confusion. Because yes. I don't understand what they're trying to say. I don't yeah, understand. It, it doesn't have anything to say. This this documentary has no point. Now, documentaries, yeah. granted, they're supposed to be objective, but they're ne they never are. Documentaries always guide the the viewer toward toward some kind of narrative of whoever they're covering whatever but this doesn't even do that it's like it, it just drives around aimlessly right. i don't even know what what the hell the even i mean even the point is supposed to be let's take for example the gold standard of scientology documentaries going clear the intent was very apparent from the from the opening credits this was a movie that wanted to expose the fraudulentness and the abuses of Scientology give you some background into how it started, into L. Ron Hubbard, into David Miscavige, and to interview some high-profile people who were defectors of Scientology. And it was a fantastically done documentary yes. in every way. Um, this movie, it is almost like a... It's like they're not trying to, like say it's it's almost like there's it's almost like i feel like this movie was made with scientology's lawyers surrounding them the entire time like yeah like it's like the second they go and try like it's like okay so they're going in a critical direction and then they cut to some other scene where some other person is saying how you know well you know 
if you believe it, it, then you have a purpose, and that's a good thing. And then they cut to some other scene where where some other unrelated things happening. And yeah. the only real dissenting voice in the whole movie is that Lara, Laura, Lara girl or whatever. Yeah. Um, but even then, like they they leave in this. I think there's a couple other dissenting voices, but they don't really have much screen time. Like there's a gal named Sarah. And it seems like she's uh, getting to the point where she's going to be a dissenting voice, but then she's cut off, and you never really hear right. From her and that's ever what again. they do. They they like. I felt like more than half of these scenes were cut off in the editing room before they went to the next part they were going to say. You know where they were going to expound or make some kind of criticism or whatever. I just feel like the the comment is just kind of cut off. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Now, it's such an empty documentary because you don't feel like you learned anything, like except for maybe the idea of the Scientology farm, like the hidden farm where they like train kids, like that. That was something that I don't remember hearing about. It's if you uh, if you're a follower of Scientology, that's but of not, course you would know. Yeah, that's not really a that. secret. It's, but for but you know for outsiders, yeah. You know that that's interesting, oh yeah the kid the kids least. if the, the camp that used to be established or whatever that I don't th- it is now defunct or whatever um it, yeah it was like a slave camp for kids I mean you had to re- yeah. you had to like bust you had, they worked you like an adult and I mean it I think I think the whole focus of the of the documentary should have been on those kids really well it again been like thirty I, minutes it's like they, thirty minutes because because there's like a thirty minute short film with interviews with these kids. Talking about you know what happened and you know how Scientology and their time on the farm changed their lives, then it would feel like it was a cohesive narrative. Like this, this there's nothing cohesive about this. This is like uh, putting a blindfold on and throwing darts blindly uh, around. Like there's no actual uh, target here. Is it against Scientology? Is it not against Scientology? Like, like, what is it really trying to do? I mean, even in the beginning, it's unfocused. It starts out with an inter- interview with this um, therapist or psychologist, uh, Susan, who has a PhD in experimental psychology, which apparently is a thing. And she talks about how she did a experiment, uh, a series of studies with these people who said that they were abducted by aliens. And they all uh, showcased uh, the physical signs of people who have been abused. And when when they were so just discuss- when they were discussing when they were going through yeah. the event of the abduction, they would display yeah, they, these, yeah. these symptoms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they were they would uh, display these symptoms, uh, these physical signs, when they're talking about uh, their uh, abduction. Uh, scenario signs that were similar distress signals that someone who, who had been raped or was in war would display. So, yeah. so it was real yeah. to them. Was the point that she was yeah. trying to make exactly? But then she goes on to say, "Well, yeah." She goes on to say that they uh, were asked to talk about uh, good experiences. Said that one of the best things that have that has uh, happened to them in their lives and. They mentioned the abduction scenario because it, it made them believe that they, there is uh, life uh, outside of our own realm and so on. And it made them feel like they're a part of something bigger. 
and I was like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? And then if it doesn't, if if that doesn't make things bad enough, this documentary is also like total amateur hour bullshit because like a minute in while she's talking her fucking cat walks into the frame and even feels like it has to say something and then walks off it's like that's like one of the most basic things that you learn in film school or in a in a filmmaking class in college like if if it's one of those things where oh, I don't want my cat to be in the room, I don't want to lock the cat up, then you move your equipment and shoot the interview somewhere else. That's distracting yeah, as hell. At first I thought they were doing that to be cheeky or be funny, but then as I went on to watch the rest of the documentary, I'm like, oh no, they just like fucked that shop and didn't fix it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was bizarre because like nowadays, you know, like a lot of people are able to gain access to these like really HD looking cameras and they're able to mm-hmm. make a documentary look to the to the outs, you know, it looks like every other well shot documentary. But then you start to really see the difference between, OK, you have some expensive uh, camera equipment and your shots look like you know a document a normal documentary but then you get into the structuring and the content and then you realize this is actually a a very c or d level co- yeah. almost college uh project uh yeah this thing. felt like a college project this I felt mean, like a college film even down to the fonts that they used for the the credits the end credits yeah. and the beginning and everything it's, it was just like just st- a stock font that you could have gotten that would have come with any editing suite um yeah, the music. And all of the B-roll footage, total college yeah, the, film vibe. The music was fine, but I mean, how it's not hard at all to find stock music that sounds good. I mean, apparently they didn't use a lot of stock music. They had a a, a band. Some yeah, kind of, I saw uh, that. They did. But I mean, even now with today's like computers and the the kind of yeah. uh, virtual you know audio systems, it's it's easy to buy like an orchestra like I would say though and, that the music here, the ambient score, is one of the few positives. Yeah, that yeah, I, it's. Fine, you know that this uh, documentary had, but after Susan and her alien abduction uh, studies that are never brought up again. Well, okay, so the so I think the point of her bringing that up, and I think I think the point that this movie is trying to get across that is that people are in Scientology because it gives them purpose and it gives them meaning, which is the thing that the person who was abducted by the alien Scott. Even though it was the worst experience, it also was a great experience because it made them believe that there's there's more to life. Yeah, but you never really uh, get a, a sense that everyone that's interviewed who is in Scientology is having a worse experience. So it doesn't really seem like that really ties in with the alien abduction thing. It just feels like... So it's all, it's the, all very... Like, half-baked is the word that keeps coming yes. to mind. Like, yes. And then... And and this is and and I just got I gotta in, indulge me for a second here because I have to bring you guys in, into some inner Scientology shit because I've been following Scientology ever since Going Clear that uh-huh. I watched and that I found so 
Marty Rathbun was in Going Clear. Marty Rathbun was one of David Miscavige's top guys. He was like second in command. He defected from Scientology as as per we, what we saw in the documentary. Mike Rinder was the director of international affairs for Scientology, another high-level guy. Mike Rinder also defects from Scientology and joins Leah Remini in her Scientology in the Aftermath show on A&E. Um, at some point, Marty Rathbun, who was involved uh, with his wife, Monique Rathbun, was involved in a, with a lawsuit with Scientology for stalking and various other things. Uh, out of nowhere, a few years ago, after Going Clear came out, Marty Rathbun does these bizarre uh, videos on his YouTube channel where he's essentially uh, doing a, a heel turn. Like, he's he's gone heel. Like, he was the face, and now he's the heel. He is basically going back on everything he said negative about Scientology and going clear, and he's either acting like it was taken out of context, it was edited wrong, they didn't get the full story, and he's basically now not necessarily singing the praises of Scientology, but he's attacking the attackers of Scientology. So nobody knows what the fuck's going on with the second-in-command who defected, but now is apparently having a change of heart. But anyway, Jeffrey Augustine, who's in this documentary with his wife, Karen De La Carriere, or whatever, he's done this podcast called Surviving Scientology, and he's had Mike Rinder... On the podcast, he's had all, most of the people who appeared on Leah Remini's show, even Leah Remini herself, has been on Jeffrey Augustine's podcast. He is definitely a uh, critic of Scientology. He wants to see their tax-exempt status uh, banished, vanquished, whatever. You and, don't get any of that in this documentary. Right, though. and his wife, Karen, is like a millionaire, and she um, ba- helped to bankroll the Scientology in the Aftermath show with Leah Remini. So then huh. you got Marty Rathbun, who's making these scathing videos, and calling out his former best friend, Mike Rinder, uh, saying that uh, Leah Remini, Mike Rinder, and Karen De La Carriere the weird art dealer lady in this documentary, they are the troika of the anti-Scientology cult, or the ASC, as he likes to call it, because Scientologists fucking love abbreviating everything for some reason. Huh. So he was saying that Leah Remini approached him before Scientology and the Aftermath ever went on TV, and she's like, hey, you know, let, let, do you want to be involved in this show? You know, it's basically a blank check, you know, it's a, pay, it's a good payday. And uh, she's like, we're really going to go after him. And he's like, well, is it going to be objective and blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, honey, it's not. It's going to be blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, then I don't want to be involved. And so now he's like, in these weird videos that he's put up on his YouTube channel, he's like talking about how like these three are the masterminds behind engineering this anti-Scientology cult and how it's, you know, it is very cult-like and how, you know... Uh, they're truly the ones who um, like uh, disconnect from people who are who have an objective view to sign. So basically, the scene that I'm setting up here is this Jeffrey Augustine guy who looks like a fucking hippie, uh, old like wannabe roadie for the Doobie Brothers. Uh, he, he <laughs> he's essentially uh, a very harsh critic of Scientology. Yet 
in this documentary, which is he's one of the th- second or third people that you see in the documentary. He's just driving his car up to his mansion with his wife Karen, uh, who was a high up Scientolo- former Scientologist supposedly. Um, and there's not really any negative speak no. of Scientology at that's all from this guy. Think, that's what makes me think this might have been shot before all of that, maybe? Maybe this was shot uh, way earlier than it was initially finished. She's been... A, she's Jeffrey Augustine has never been a Scientologist. Uh, he fails to mention that in the documentary, but his wife actually was. She was mar- interesting. She was because he talks about all the phases. He knows all, like the yeah. levels. He knows and all his that. shit. Like he know he knows as much, if not more, than a lot of Scientologists about and Scientology. There's a, there's a bit where he talks about how I want to control my afterlife. <clears throat> right, but I think so. How does he control his afterlife unless he actually is into Scientology? I think he's speaking in you know in in uh you know uh rhetorical kind of senses i mean if this is the case and the documentary filmmakers they really uh uh didn't do him justice because they painted him in a way that's not really accurate they're painted as like feels at best they're sympathizers at worst they're just passive observers or they're nuts there was a shot in in early on in the documentary this is another example of the tone being way off where he's driving uh, in the middle of the night, and there there was a shot that showcases him with this manic grin on his face. <laughs> I know that was very disturbing. I, don't... I know it looks like he's gonna like snap and drive the car off a cliff. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> looks like he's a psychopath. Meanwhile, and then you cut to Karen, who's had so much plastic surgery oh God. that uh, she looks like she was dosed with uh, Smilex gas by the Joker. <laughs> yeah, she she's got that classic uh, like I, I guess like before they perfected plastic surgery, she's got that classic like way too much plastic plastic surgery face where they all yeah. look the same. Like think of Joan Rivers or you know whoever. Yeah. Else. Like they all. They're, they they all end up looking the same. I don't know what it is. The cheeks get- and then she's and then she's got this uh, doll haircut. She looks like a porcelain. She's got this porcelain doll hair, which is just so bizarre. And you got this really creepy plastic surgery that's overdone. Porcelain doll hair. And she's talking about spirits and all of this. And the interv- the the person who's interviewing her asks her, do you think animals have spirits? And she says, yes, da-da-da. And then it cuts to this fucking reporter guy sitting in a chair being like, I had a cat. We played cat games. <laughs> and, and, the, and the cat, uh, uh, like, hid behind the door and started yelping like it needed help and then as soon as i moved the door the cat attacked me and that's when i learned to respect cats from that that day forward and it's like dude you ha- <laughs> we have lost the plot here captain with this documentary i just love how the guy is just the complete opposite of karen and jeffrey <laughs> he's just like, i had a cat play cat games <laughs> um and yeah, they the fact that they are Kincaid art dealers is so perfect because Kincaid was a bullshit artist. So it's so fitting 
that you know they were so that these two were so enamored with Scientology. Well, at least it seems in this documentary that they would also be uh, supporters of Kincaid. How was he a bullshit like, artist? Because uh, he he did a lot of uh, fraud and, and a lot of things uh, that. Uh, there, there's a documentary that somebody did on YouTube. I don't remember the name of it, but I would highly recommend it. I think if you just search up Thomas Kincaid, you could probably find it. Uh, it's it's a it's a really eye opening documentary where you're just like, wow, this guy is kind of a piece of shit. Damn. Yeah, I you know I I know his work, but it's like you know totally not my not my style at all. It's one of those things where the value is exaggerated. Yeah. And not, it's nowhere near as uh, worthwhile to be a Kincaid art dealer as, as people might think. He was one of those. He was one of those guys who was able to take his art and be like, "This is worth ten thousand dollars." And then the second someone said, "Okay, I'll pay that," then it it became like, "Okay, well, this you know, I can sell my shit for this much." Yeah. Um. You know, whatever. It's 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 very you know. Uh, but that's interesting. That's interesting that Karen and, and Jeffrey are really not so uh, in love with Scientology as it appears. They're, they hate they hate Scientology. Karen was married to Peter Gench, who or Heber Gench, uh, who was a high high up guy in Scientology, and they had a son, Peter, and Peter died. Uh, I think he committed suicide, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, the Church of Scientology does not handle, like, deaths well, especially suicides. Like, that's very shameful uh, in in their belief. Um, And deaths just in general in the Church of Scientology, they they call it dropping the body. Uh, And and you're not supposed to feel sad. You're not supposed to mourn. Man, that's um, fucked up. Yeah, because well, because the whole idea is, well, they didn't need that body anymore. They dropped the body, and they they have moved on to the next level of uh, of being. And one, it makes sense as to why they justify physical abuse then, because it's just a body that's being abused. It's not the soul. Yeah, Elron Spirit. Elron Hubbard uh, has gone so far as to refer to. Um, uh, the human human bodies as um uh, m- like a, a meat sack I believe is or your meat body or your meat sack <laughs> okay because um, <laughs> that's just that's how I mean For a guy who was supposed to be so brilliant that just sounds hilarious to me that's that's just a, a stark contrast to what everybody in Scientology uh, deems him to be this like larger than life genius. And uh, your meat sack. I mean, his his body certainly was a meat sack, but I mean, shit, I don't uh, like. I don't know if that's how you would cl- classify some of those uh, some of those hotties he had in the Sea Org back in the day. But I digress. Um, but yeah, so uh, she Karen got very uh, disenfranchised with the organization and has a YouTube channel called Surviving Scientology, where she is constantly. Um, railing against Scientology, and she's bringing on people like Ron Miscavige, David Miscavige's father, who uh, very famously uh, left Scientology. He he blew as they as they call it when you it's basically going AWOL. Oh, that's what blue is because I because I, Laura talked about uh, going blue. She blew. 
She blew, which is weird. Saying it in that context. Uh, and uh, I... I didn't quite get it. I was like, huh? Like, I wasn't familiar with the terminology. So I was like, what is she even talking about? Yeah, I mean, for, for <laughs> I fuck's sakes, I'm on Karen's, uh, uh, her, her Surviving Scientology channel right now. Her One of her, her top video is The Church of Scientology Killed My Son Part 1. Oh my god! I mean, they these these are not the, these filmmakers did them dirty. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was the editing or or what, or or if like if if like the church has gotten to them. I don't know because yeah, um, or it was one of those things where this was shot like years ago. And and if if that's the case, why did it come out now? And, and because honestly, yeah. Jeffrey Augustine doesn't look like that anymore with the long hair and the mustache yeah. and that that whole thing he's got like really short cropped hair no, uh, uh on his head no facial hair uh-huh. he was on leah remini's surviving scientology as like a consultant on one of the episodes where he yeah. explains getting into the church and all that they never at any point mentioned that jeffrey has never been a scientologist which i find i i feel they think might ruin the narrative um, and it kind of would to a certain degree, but I I believe that you know you can know a lot about Scientology without being a Scientologist. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't uh, huh. discredit you in any way. But they they never mentioned that fact. His wife was though, and in and in this documentary, she even gives a a a session using yeah. the e meter, and uh-huh. um and and they're, they're not painting any of this in a negative light. They're painting it in a very open-ended, objective like, well, this is how what happens, and they're just explaining it and. You know, for people who are so, and there's like this really enlightened positivity. Yeah, they're making uh, it coming it, from both of them, right? They're making it seem like this is actually like a a, a pleasant thing and a, a a positive experience. They feature a guy uh, it, towards the end of the documentary who got Gain Green from Bill. Yeah, who who got Gain Green from like some kind of what? What was he doing? Kayaking or something? I don't fucking know. But he. He goes in to get auditing, which is basically like a therapy, Scientology's version of a therapy session. And, um, you know, his his foot has swollen up to the size of a watermelon at this point. He's in excruciating pain. The, the yeah. gangrene is running up his leg. And he's like, I, 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 you know, I give you my word. I swear that, you know... 30 minutes into the auditing session, the pain started to go away. And then days after the gained green started going back down my leg instead of going up and bullshit my dick. So I'm sitting here (laughs) going like literally what? And they don't, they never qualify that with anything. They don't have like an, no, there's never, there's no photos. There's no video. There's no nothing. There's no evidence. There's no other, there's not any other witnesses. It's just this guy. Yeah, just they to take his word for yeah, it. Yeah, just take his word for it. So, again. I mean, he already says things prior to that part of the interview where he says, That's where I met L. Ron Hubbard, uh, the best friend I've ever had, or something like that. Yeah, so again, it's like the only kind of dissenting voice you really have is that Laura girl. And they have this. And I would say she's honestly probably the main focus of this entire documentary. Because she's the one that gets the most screen time in terms of interview interview time. Uh, There's that uh, whole weird scene where she's like having this really long like conversation with her dad over speakerphone. Well, yeah, prior to that, they introduce her and they talk about her time on this Scientology farm with other kids who are also interviewed, uh, Sarah, Nathan, and Shane. 
and uh, they show old footage of her dancing in a in a circle with a, a bunch of other kids very dressed in bizarre uh, dancing by the way yeah very bizarre dancing with like uh silver jumpsuits and shit uh, it, it's the kind of footage where you're like yeah this is totally not a cult <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> paintings of elron hubbard everywhere <clears throat> um so she's talking about her experiences there and then you'll have other shots here and there where she'll be interviewed and she'll talk about a few other things uh, related to Scientology and her time in the farm and Sarah and Nathan and Shane are also interviewed uh, uh, I think it was Shane who talked about the story about one of our teachers uh, smacked into a, into the door and it made a loud rattling noise and that stuck with us because we associate sound. Or no, associate- so what he was saying was yeah. was the their supervisor or whatever uh, yeah. s- walked right into a door like really hard and the room was completely quiet because if anyone had made any noise in the event in Scientology, in the event that someone has a uh, engram, which would be something like running into a door. Yeah, if if they were to laugh or 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 do anything like that, that would have um, imprinted uh, that into her experience and made it worse. So you're taught to just not react. You're not supposed to react, and that you made that more clear than what what Shane said. <laughs> I, I probably know more In about Scientology than Shane does. <laughs> like fucking a. Um, but uh yeah i thought that was interesting that w- there was another shot when uh lara I-, I don't think this is when she was introduced but it was another instance of just a bad tone a bad tonal shift you have uh jeffrey's and karen talking about their uh, what seems to be their perceived love of scientology and what it stands for and talk about the spirit and then Laura skipping or jumping on rocks and going woo. Yeah, it's uh, it's just like <laughs> uh, like what I, I was like. All right, all right. This is leading to something that's like really gonna cleverly tie into what they've been. No, it didn't. It was just a no, a random <laughs> shot. And then there's other shots of her. Like one shot in particular was so bad because you couldn't see anything. It was blurry. It was dark. They should have cut it out. Because I guess she's going to uh, some, uh, maybe her, her apartment or something. It's never really established where this is. And she's like bringing up some stuff out of storage. And there's like uh, some creepy d- demon baby statues. And then there's like a, a fake crow. And then she takes out a piece of paper and starts talking about read me a story. And then I think that's some some really half-assed transition into them trying to once again introduce the legend of l ron hubbard because there's a lot of stuff in this where if you've seen going clear or if you're somewhat familiar with scientology it's a lot of information you don't need to hear because you already know you already know all of this and it just feels like a lot of padding and that's what a lot of this documentary is. Most of this documentary is padding. And the kind of padding that's just completely fucking pointless. I mean, you got so many shots of people watching. 
Like, uh, and some of them are really awkward because you could tell like people are starting to realize they're being filmed, and they're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, I'm, and they kept that in. I'm sure no they waivers were signed movie. to uh, allow their uh, likeness to be in the movie either. I'm sure they just like one of the security. I think the security guard, like he was the one that was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> so this is the IMDb on it. First of all, it got a 2.8 out of 10 stars on IMDb. That's that's mm-hmm. piss poor. That's like nearing complete garbage. Yeah. The uh, description of the movie is, this documentary uh, examination of the controversial Church of Scientology focuses on its fringes. Alien abduction, no, that, that alien abduction has nothing to do with Scientology. Art dealing, again, nothing to do with Scientology. E-meters, okay, I'll give you that one, and the Sea Organization. And weaves together interviews with both active and inactive members. And then someone left a review on here, and uh, it pretty much sums up sums it up perfectly. Even the title, 30-Minute Curiosity Stretch to Feature Length is the title of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, yeah, that definitely does uh, uh, fit the bill. But, um, and then the, so you have, well, that I was just going to read this review real quick. Wow. Well, I was thinking we could save that. Okay. Fine. We still have more to talk about. All right. <laughs> so anyway, so you have Laura, she's really kind of the main focus of things. You have a lot of these weird tonal shifts. You have an interview with this archivist guy. I, named, I don't even know uh, why, David. why was he important? at all yeah i don't know i don't know it was interesting it was kind of fun to see like the the old records and whatever but it doesn't really have any connection with anything it's like why is he here there's a lot of that uh it's just like a lot of the b-roll footage like why are we having these slow moving shots of uh the city what does that have to do with anything all these shots of uh animals what does that have to fucking do with anything it doesn't have to do with anything. It's padding because they don't have enough for an hour and 12 minutes, which is what the film's running time is. They don't even have enough concrete footage of interviews to pad an hour and 12 minutes. So they have to have all these other scenes that really don't amount to much like of anything when Lara has a conversation with her father via speakerphone that her dad's on speakerphone yeah and it's her, unedited her, her dad reported her because she communicated with an ex-scientologist and there it, it literally has their entire like 15 minute communication uh in the movie like nothing i think it's only like five minutes but it feels like it it feels like a long time and i think i think they're like the the director was like okay we don't have much you know uh, to go on to make this movie so this is a pretty heated debate between um how a a father who's in Scientology would speak to their daughter if he if he felt the daughter did an overt or did a bad thing. I mean, I really feel for her a a lot. Yeah, the dad's completely died in the wool. He's drank the Kool Aid, and she's you know she's trying to be like, I'm your daughter, and you reported me, and blah blah. And the dad's basically like, you know, 
well, read read the policies, you know, blah, blah. And, and you know, she's like, Dad, I'm your daughter. And I thought I was going to be speaking to my father, but instead I'm speaking to a Sea Org member. And he's like, and then he's like, that's vile. Yeah, he's like, see, <laughs> that's vile. That's vile right there. That's hitting below the belt, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's because you don't really get a fly in the wall, um, you know, view of how. I mean, that's more useful than uh, interviews with David, the archivist, which the 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 transition to this guy is awkward, too. It's just a shot of him sitting there, like just staring at the camera or or hearing Jeffrey Augustine talk about the police officer who uh, sees um, murder and death all day, so he wants to come home to his be- yeah. his beautiful Thomas Kincaid's. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey and Karen see beautiful Thomas Kincaid's all day, so they want to watch murder mysteries at night. It's like, okay, uh-huh. didn't need any of that detail, any of those details, but you left that in. Yeah, uh, and uh, so you have Laura, and then you have this other. Uh, extra bit with uh, Yoke, who's this like honestly pretty creepy cult leader of some uh, school for teens in the middle of the woods <laughs> somewhere. The German, like, she reminded, the, the, the German lady. Uh, she reminded me of Kathy Bates from Misery. Yeah, like, that same kind of just unhinged uh-huh. uh, niceness. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like cr- there's craziness behind those eyes. And she's talking about how the kids that come here, uh, they need to be exposed to nature more, and they don't, they aren't allowed to watch much television because was this it corrupts lady, them. Was this lady or hypnotizes them? In, was this lady even involved in Scientology? No, they don't even confirm that she's involved in Scientology. So you're like, what is even the point of this? You're like, oh, it's to show that there's another religion. Because uh, maybe they're trying to connect it to the whole thing with uh, David, the archivist, where there's all these different religions yeah, that and- he's archiving from that uh, originate in America. And then at the end, uh, Laura, the the only kind of opposing voice to Scientology, even she kind of brings it in at the end and kind of says, "Oh well, you know, uh, when I'm at, when I finally got out in the world, it was just you know so uh, refreshing and blah, blah blah." But then I see like a bus driver, and I think, you know, why does he drive the bus? What is what is the point of him doing that? He must have a purpose and something that he lives for, you know, and, and I have something that I live for and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and again, loosely saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't pick on Scientologist guys because they're just people who are searching for a purpose like every other religion. Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't really mesh very well because like 10 minutes earlier, she was talking about her story where she was physically abused and it is yeah right especially doesn't mesh very well with the fact that we know that there is a, a project rehabilitation force which is like two yeah. trailers uh forged together that's basically a prison where they torture yeah. scientology members who fuck up and it seems like that farm that she was on w- was notorious for very similar things right. like she got super pissed off at this uh this uh supervisor that that she didn't like and she swore at her and she said i i told her to fuck off like 73 times and then she was punished by being uh slapped in the ass 
says uh, it was uh, 73 times times three. So 219 times. Did you just do that math in your head? I, I did it ahead of time. Oh, okay. I was about to say, that's pretty fucking impressive. I'm not very good with math. That's why I did it ahead of time. But yeah, she was uh, spanked in the, in the butt 219 times. And that's that's standard fare, uh, uh, like in in those camps and in, in the farms and all that that the kids got, would get sent to at that time, back back in the '90s when that was going on. They've since apparently shut it down. But I mean, you know, it's common knowledge that that they don't have, that Scientology doesn't have to pay taxes. It's common knowledge at this point the uh, the directive of disconnection from your family if you decide to choose if you choose to leave Scientology. Uh, it's common knowledge of how Sea Org members are paid fifty dollars per week for uh, sixty hours of labor and who uh, have to use a lot of that earnings, uh, those earnings to uh, buy David Miscavige a birthday present when his birthday comes around. Um, and you have to chip in, and if you don't, you're seen as, uh, you know, not, not, not really a team player, and you're kind of shunned. I mean, knowing all these, like, awful fucking things, uh, you know, Scientology trying to cover up the rapes uh, and, and sexual allegations towards Danny Masterson, that's recent in the news, the guy who was in that 70s show. Uh, I mean, the fucking list goes on. The, um, you know, star treatment for Tom Cruise and how all the Sea Org members were, were had to slave away to make uh, you know the 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 gold base uh, look presentable for Mr. Cruz and set him up with all the niceties of of a king. I mean, and knowing all this, and Jeffrey Augustine knows all this and more. He know his his wife Karen. I just read you the first top video on her YouTube channel is how Scientology killed my son. With all that in mind, and 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 keeping. In mind that this movie, this documentary was released in 2019 according to IMDb. How the fuck does this movie exist in the way? Like, what in the hell is this? It's so, like, it makes my brain numb. Like, Uh here you have two two Scientology attack dogs who are talking about it like it's like this. Yeah, it's it's not that bad, you know? It's It's puppy love. Like seriously, they're talking about Scientology like like puppy love. Now, one of the one of the um, theories about the Marty Rathbun videos that I and by the way, if you have any interest in Scientology, go to Marty Rathbun's YouTube page. There, he's literally got like forty. They're like two minute videos, like forty of them, where he breaks down the uh, all the quote unquote inaccuracies and going clear the book. Go and clear the movie. Every single episode of uh, Leah Remini, Leah Remini's uh, uh, Scientology in the Aftermath, all of it, where he is just yeah. disputing all of it, and yet on his same channel, if you go back further, he's got all these videos attacking Scientology and and showing how crazy they are. Yeah, and so it's like almost like the same thing going on here. Now, what what a lot of Scientology watchers suspected was that because he was involved in that lawsuit with his wife Monique Rathbun with the church, uh, they somehow reached some kind of weird backdoor agreement to where 
he, they kind of had his, you know, his hands were tied. And it's like, all right, well, you know, we're going to do, because, you know, they have black PR files on every single member of the church, especially yeah. the top officials. They could be like, all right, Marty, we have your black PR file that you like to take it in the ass from transvestites. You know, if you don't want that information getting out, then well, you... Speaking of, of, of PR files, I bet there's a ton of PR files that uh, feature masturbation in there. Because... Uh, that 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 was another thing that was like, why is that? Why is this here? Like, because there was an interview with Laura, and she's talking about how uh, she used to, I think, record uh, people's uh, uh, sessions, and people would be talking about how they masturbated a lot. No, oh, they were. She, weren't they like teenagers or something? Yeah, or something, or one of those things. But it was just one of the. It was just yeah, because you know. Like, when your body is oh, yeah. when your body is in peak like horniness, yeah, of course I'm not going to masturbate. You know who's going to do that? That's that's so simple. Yeah, but I I thought it was uh, rather fitting because that's what Scientology is. It's just one massive giant L. Ron Hubbard wank fest. So uh, I thought that was rather fitting that they had a interview talking about masturbation. But at the same time, it's like, what does that really add? Yeah, to anything. I I guess they were trying to establish that they they do that. There is some form of confessional, but I guess what they don't really tell you is they keep that on file, detailed files of that, and they they keep that as your black PR file to yeah. release against you should you ever leave the church. And it's blackmail. Yeah, it's totally blackmail. It's the very definition of it. So, but my thing is Jeffrey Augustine has never been in Scientology, so he wouldn't have such a black PR file against him unless they have something on his wife, which by now they would have already released that because she's been making videos slamming the church way before 2019. So everything about this documentary just confuses the fucking hell out of me, and I really... uh, I'm going to probably try to reach out because Jeffrey Augustine, first of all, he's not... a He's not big. He's big enough in the Scientology, um, the anti-Scientology community, that um, he was able to get on Leah Remini's show and all that. But a lot of that was because his wife is bankrolling it. So I think that was probably one of the conditions. Oh, we'll give you the money to get this show off the ground, but you have to have my husband in there or whatever. Um, But I will say that he and Mike Rinder are legitimately friends because Mike Rinder has been coming on Jeffrey's podcast since like the... 2009 or something like that Uh um so i just i almost want to like reach out to him and be like whoa (laughs) yo uh i i don't know if i was on like a a peyote induced fever dream but i could have sworn i just saw a movie called over the rainbow about scientology and you were depicted as someone who is uh not not exactly uh an enemy of the uh of the religion quote unquote i mean you seem like you're pretty uh mild or you know lukewarm to it at best oh, yeah, or yeah. wants uh, or wants to be a part of it because of that whole bit where he talks about i want to be able to control my afterlife i mean and i thought that was interesting well he was he that was really making put no he that was, puts you into the mindset of why some people would find scientology appealing because of this idea of oh it can enable me to control my afterlife where in in other religions like I don't really know what will happen. They say something will happen in a certain way. I'll go to heaven or go to hell. But here I have all the control. So 
Okay, so let's take that, what you're just talking about. He, what he actually says is, think about if I, as a 70-year-old, I can transfer all that knowledge and experience well, yeah. into the body of a 16-year-old. You could really do something with that. Now, yeah. that could have been two seconds of a longer clip where he's like, yeah. the church fools people into joining Scientology by giving them this promise. Let's say, for example, I'm 70 years old and and... and I yeah. can transfer all of this knowledge into a 16-year-old. That's really powerful. And, you know, that's how Scientology tricks you. And then they just edit it to where they leave. They, they it cut doesn't out. look like that, though. It looks like one take. It doesn't look like takes that are spliced no, together. No, they wouldn't have to be norm- sliced together. You just slice the beginning off where he's saying, this is how they fool you. And then he says what he says. And then after that, he goes, and that's why this is a bad thing. All you got to do is cut off the beginning and cut off the end. Just leave I the middle. It's a little... It's a little more complicated than that, especially when it comes to uh, the way that they have the camera set up. So it's one of those things where if it was a more obvious, uh, if it w- if they did some kind of serious editing like that, uh, y- I think you would see a transition of some sort. Like, I don't remember if there was like a bit of B-roll in the middle or not. And if that's the case, then you could definitely see that being something that's a possibility. But if it's just like one... Uh, straight on shot of him talking and and there's no edits there's no there's no a uh, transition footage that he said that like that that's not an instance of them uh cutting anything out or manipulating what i'm saying is take things. the ta- say i'm sitting down in a in a camera is stationary on a tripod and i say i love cats and you just want to get a clip of me saying love just cut off me saying I and cut off me saying cats, and then yeah, you just have the clip of me saying love. You don't need any... people. Yeah, people talk differently, so they sometimes they gesture with their hands, so you would see things like that, or you would see a different, like, maybe a Zoom, or a different sort of stuff to make up for the fact that, you know, they're... they're it's just, it's it just, just one of those things It just doesn't make sense, editing. Mike. It doesn't make sense that he would be talking positively about I know. it. I know, I know, I know. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to say that it, it could be. I'm trying to assimilate it into my mind in a way that that could possibly make sense to me because, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it just. The, I feel you. This guy I has that, this guy has an extreme fervor towards Scientology, and and the fact that would be like if there's like an interview with Robert Stack back in the day where he's like shit talking unsolved mysteries, and and you're just like, well, where did this come? I mean, from? even that would make like, more sense because real? that's just a paycheck for him. You know, it's not like yeah. an ideological belief. I mean, that would be like, I don't know. I would say that would be no, like no, but I think it. I think it was more than a paycheck for him at, at a certain point. Cause well, I yeah, no, really I mean, obviously, fact, he he loved the fact know, they were able to solve mysteries and you know, all that stuff. Yeah, bring people to justice and unite families and stuff. But uh, yeah, so I guess I'll read this review now and and see if they boil it down uh, any <laughs> any easier if they can make sense of it. Wow, this is such an ineptly made documentary that's focus is majorly unclear. Agreed. Yeah. It ends up being a pro-Scientology piece, I think, but made with the craziest members. Agreed. I have no idea what I watched, exclamation point. (laughs) I'm thinking it was supposed to be pro-Scientology, but was so whacked out it ended up being anti-Scientology. Poorly edited to the point of tedium with random shots of 
people and scenes holding for way too long yes. beyond artistic effect yes. to the point of discomfort. No clear focus. This could have been edited as a comedy special at 30 minutes easy. As it, <laughs> as it is, Cure for Insomnia and Scientology both just no. Move on. No, no. You have been warned. That yeah, sums I agree it with up. the two point eight on IMDb. I agree with that review. This is to me personally the worst documentary that I've seen for this podcast. Uh, Extraterrestrial was really bad, but it was the kind of so bad it's entertaining. Oh yeah, the guy who gets his because nipples played with by the aliens. Yeah, because everything was just so ridiculous and over the top, and the the things that he's talking about sincerely, like the obviously photoshopped images, as was supposed to be proof of things, and all his uh, no- all of his filters, like like he took yeah. a, he got a picture of an alien on his back deck, and then he used a black and white filter, yeah. like that's supposed to show <laughs> us anything new, and then he used the. Um, like the embossed filter that you can yeah. use in Photoshop, <laughs> like that's supposed to see. There was a there there was a train wreck quality yeah, to that. There was a so bad it's good. It was the room quality kind of thing. This this is just, this a, is just a piece of shit. Yeah, this is just poorly made, poorly edited. Apparently, the editing there was like two different people who edited this, and they had an editing consultant. All three of them suck and should never edit anything again because they don't know how to edit things properly to maintain uh, the right flow and to also maintain a tone because you're having cuts that just make you laugh at how awkward they are. I think the uh, the edit the editor moniker was just a euphemism for film students uh, and <laughs> an editing consultant was a euphemism for their professor. Who had it to grade their project? <laughs> I've seen. I, I've been to uh, film classes. I, I've taken. Uh, yeah, I have uh, uh, taken part in film classes in college. I've seen better production values in the student-made films in terms of like the consistency of the editing, not necessarily the directing or the camera quality. Really good camera quality, uh, and there were some nice-looking shots. But there's just a lot of stuff that just doesn't really piece together. It, it's like they just dumped a puzzle out on the ground and were like, oh, that that's good. That looks fine. It's like, aren't you supposed to put the pieces together? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we made a movie. Wow, isn't that great? It's like, yeah, but it's supposed to have like substance. No, 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 no. We made a movie. Isn't that great? Like, yeah, it, it just these these people were um it was just so boring like uh, seven minutes how did you even find out about this movie because you're the one who told me about it how did this come across your radar i think i think it was one of those things where i was just uh searching through the internet and an article popped up about it or I, i found a link for it for the trailer and then i was like oh hey you know scientology well actually what it was is i was looking through a site that I that I uh, normally check for uh, access to certain things, just to leave it at that. And uh, that film was uh, referenced on there, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" I just saw the title. It's like over the rainbow. Like what the fuck? And then I was like, "Oh, Scientology and Which, I mean, alien abductions." Honestly, and, so that, and I was like, "Scientology and alien abductions? Like, how do those things connect together?" It does. It doesn't. And that, in fact, in Scientology, if if you if you 
if you start talking like which is which is so it's such an oxymoron because Scientology believes that you have thetans inside your body, which are essentially Aliens. alien beings <laughs> that are inside your body. Yeah. But if you were to say, for instance, I saw a UFO and I saw an alien come out of the craft, you would be, um, uh, what do they call it, uh, case three or something like that. Basically, huh. uh, the same category they put crazy people in. You would be viewed wow. as crazy. Like if you start talking about seeing aliens and shit like that, they would they would distance you themselves from you uh, or kick you out of the organization organization completely because they they do not believe in aliens like greys and shit like that. Um, the only aliens they believe in are the Scientology brand of aliens, the the Thetans, <laughs> the body Thetans, all that kind of shit. Um, so alien abductions uh, absolutely is not congruent with Scientology or their beliefs, uh, just like, you know, mourning over the loss of a loved one or, you know, uh, fucking going out into the wog world. Basically, uh, that's their wog world. The uh, wog is their, their slang. And, um, I've heard uh, many Scientologists say this. Uh, a wog is what they call an, an, a non-Scientologist, but it's it's a very derogatory term for a. So non- it's like a muggle. Yeah, it's it, they've compared it to the <laughs> they've literally compared it to the N word of Scientology, like ooh, calling someone a wog. Ooh. And and yeah. it, it, and what's weird is it's an acronym that Elron Hubbard came up for, and it stands for Western Orderly Gentleman. Huh. I don't. I don't. I fail to see how that's. Uh, yeah offensive but wog sounds like ma- a made-up word it is a made-up word Elron hubbard made it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, is well, a because word. it sounds it sounds like a part of the made-up language that some kid came up with with their little brother or something yeah it's like you, you know it's like, like a klingon or something like that you yeah. know but yeah, like, um, you know, like having any kind of like, you know, going to the movies, you know, going to bars, anything like that, you know, going to the beach. That's 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 for the wogs. That's why uh, the beach is for the in Clearwater, Florida is, is for the for the wogs, apparently. Yeah, because you've been to Clearwater. Uh, yes, I believe so. I went to St. Pete, which is I think it like rub rubs elbows with uh, Clearwater. When I, when I was on that little three day tour, I did finally see a Scientology building with my own eyes, so that was pretty cool. But it was it was so late at night, you know, they weren't open. But I I yeah. took video of it. You can find yeah. it on my YouTube channel. But um, I mean, on one hand, it was kind of interesting to see the perspective of people who are inside the organization and speak fondly of it. But now that you have the knowledge that they are anti-scientology the ones that we're talking about their fond experiences with the religion it's just really weird (laughs) and it it just it's just one of those documentaries that even one of the few positives uh is now kind of a negative because it sounds like they were either making some shit up or this was shot so long ago that it's no longer even relevant well, in twenty but in twenty nineteen, uh, that might have been the same. Uh, yeah, I believe twenty nineteen yeah. was the same year that Jeffrey Augustine went on Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath show, where he uh-huh. where he explained the billion year contract that you have to sign when you join the Sea Org, and um, getting uh, they explained the process of getting a refund if you decide to leave Scientology, and how it's impossible because to get a refund 
for your services that you paid for in Scientology, you have to go inside of a Scientology building to get your refund, but non-Scientologists non are not allowed in the building. Yeah, exactly. So That's it's, how they it, get it's, you. it's this legal jargon to where it's like, oh, no, you, you can get a refund, uh, but you have to be a Scientologist to get your refund. But if you get a refund, then you become a... I'm just imagining some, like... A ridiculous scenario where disguises are used. <laughs> like you dress up as somebody else and be like, I want to be your Scientologist. It's like, uh, uh, can I get a refund? Well, the funny thing is, is that um, there are a few ways to instantly become a, an SP, a suppressive person, according to L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, the, a suppressive person is one of the worst uh, people you could be in Scientology. Uh, that means you are. You are suppressing the dissemination of the religion. You are uh, a, uh -huh. a, an attacker of the. You are like the worst person ever. To be, I find that term ironic, considering that's what Scientology does is suppress people. Right. Well, there's a few ways to become a suppressive person, and they're you know the typical ways, because uh, like doing something that is treacherous, like going like uh you know exposing uh, secrets of Scientology. There are things that make sense as to why they would make you a suppressive person. But another way that you instantly become a suppressive person is if you ask for a refund. <laughs> that shows you. The mindset of L. Ron Hubbard and how it was a business more than it was a fucking money, religion. Money, 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 money. I mean, they have so much untaxed money that they get from like the upper one percent of Scientology that they call the whales. L. Ron was he was uh, the million dollar man before the million dollar man. Like everybody's got a price. They they have the free wins ship that they bring the top donors of Scientology aboard once a year and they basically purge them of millions. Nancy Cartwright, the woman who voices Bart Simpson, is one of those mm -hmm. whales of Scientology who goes on the free ones once a year and you get to uh, shake David Miscavige's hand and get a photo op uh, at the cost of millions of dollars. They then take this money and add it to their Scientology war chest, and because it's tax-free, they have to do something with the money per the regulations of the U.S. government. So what do they do with their money? Do they better society? Do they, do they help people? Sure, they make PR videos where they show that they're doing that, but they're all staged. What they really do is they buy property, and then they they, yep. they build buildings and uh -huh. organizations on this property that are fucking... It's a pyramid scheme. They're fucking empty. The buildings are empty. There's no one yeah. in the buildings. But when they make their propaganda films to show to the congregation w once a year for their gala event... They show Scientology is expanding to Portugal and Singapore and there's a new org in Africa. And these orgs are either just vacant or there's like three people in the entire organization. I think that's the best way to sum up this documentary. It's just like the uh, fake uh, Scientology buildings that are empty and have nobody inside them. Yes. It's just as empty as those buildings that were built just to get the IRS off their back and for no other reason. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I have been foaming at the mouth to talk about Scientology ever since we did Going Clear when we talked about the movie Going Clear. I was a baby in my journey of Scientology <laughs> knowledge back then. Um, and, and now I feel like I could teach a fucking course on it. Um 
And so, yeah, when this documentary came up, I was just like, Mike's like, eh, you know, this movie sucks. We should just do like some Unsolved Mystery segments. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, dude, nah, I got to talk about Scientology again. It's been far too long. I know. He's a lot- got the itch. Yeah, I, I got the itch. I know so much more about it than I used to. And um, yeah, so. Did you know about those records that the archivist uh talked about briefly dude they have a fucking like in arizona they they've like carved a a top of the line like room that you would see out of like the x-men or something that Mm -hmm. is like uh with these uh platinum plates that have all of l ron hubbard's work etched into them uh they could they can survive a nuclear blast the room is filled with argon gas because that is the most (laughs) preserving um like gas that you can have in a room that will preserve some shit you have like this insane level of security and preservation and it's preserving his tacky ass soundtrack for (laughs) for battlefielders (laughs) yeah i mean they they have uh they have invented uh methods of preservation of uh they've they've invented methods of restoring uh these old uh uh, lectures that l ron hubbard videotaped Uh they've totally restored the color they've taken out every uh piece of film grain in it there's one video where l ron hubbard's son nibs that's his nickname i forget his actual name but where where nibs is seen in the background like grabbing something off the podium and uh nibs defected and left scientology and spoke out against it so they had someone go in uh, frame by frame and somehow uh because you know how that how like a professional um photo editor can remove something out of a picture yeah, they had someone go in and remove his son from every single frame to where you see the original frame and he walks in frame, grabs something off the podium, leaves. Then you see the new frame and nothing. There's just nothing there. Like the podium doesn't wow. move. Nothing is removed off of it. I mean, the lengths that they go to um, to to uh, just make the most pristine uh, preservation of L. Ron Hubbard's work like is insane. If they could, if they could have. Uh invented carbonite they would have encased l ron hubbard in carbonite and had him like just up, up there on the wall yeah well i mean he was so old and shitty when he died i mean there'd really be nothing to preserve at that point um yeah he was completely insane he had he had written to the va uh seeking psychological care uh at the end stage of his life which psychology being the number one enemy of, of scientology yeah uh the, the, so even he was like, I need help. I'm fucked in the head. I, 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 okay, enough of this charades with this fake religion I made up. I need help. I'm going nuts. And, you know, he... I think there's something to be said. I think uh, this this religion, maybe even more so than some of the other religions, can lead to a lot of that, to, to genuine psychosis. Well, because yeah. Of just, like, just how much pressure and how much stress and how much all these things are involved with it and and uh i don't think scientology is the only one that can lead to that because i think there's a lot of other mental illnesses that people are dealing with when it comes to other religions uh, other than just scientology because it's just there's just a lot of this extra uh stressors there's a lot of cases of of uh, ocd in uh, catholicism 
because mm-hmm. there's so many rituals and compulsions that you have to do that are yeah. just baked into the religion. And it really like gives, uh, the, you know, I don't want to say how many people, but um, it's got its own like branch of OCD. It's called ROCD, Religious Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Oh, yeah. And I think there's also a branch of uh, pedophilia that's directly tied into right. Catholicism. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the priests having to abstain from, uh, you know, sex... And um, all, uh, you know, be, remain abstinent and all that. And yeah, I mean, it's again, it's not a justification in any sense of the word, but no, it's not like, at all. These are just normal human beings. And much like uh, someone who uh, would would identify as heterosexual being sent to prison for 30 years eventually starts uh, sodomizing other men. You know, after a while, you know, you, you just get to the point to where you're like, I don't even care anymore. Uh, I, I, my my uh, carnal natures are, are are taking hold of my better judgment, you know. But you know, in in the religion, they're they're the priests. They're so there's they're so much uh, more pious than the average. No, they're not. It's a human. It's a human being. There's nothing better or worse about them than than you or me. So you see that in all religions. I mean, you know, fucking uh, Jim Jones was high on opioids, uh, like the like ha- the last half of uh, the People's Temple existing. He was high as a fucking kite, fucking men and women. Um, was was fucking zonked out of his gourd when he finally put a bullet in his head in Jonestown. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can look at all of all the all the. I mean, who knows what Miscavige is doing and getting away with? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think Miscavige is like asexual. I don't think his thing is sex. I think his thing is just kind of like power and um, greed and a lust for like money and material possessions. Yeah, because this dude, for his, like what I was saying about his birthday presents every year, they're not like a, a, a flat screen TV. They're like Rolls Royces and uh expensive jewelry and shit like that uh having the top of the line uh stu- uh stereo equipment in all of his offices throughout the world um oh that's another thing that's hilarious about Scientology they're still putting out CDs one of the most outdated forms of of media <laughs> at this point and i mean um one of the guys who left, who I love, he's he's got such a goofy, happy-go-lucky personality. Um, uh, fucking what's his name? Um, he did the mo- uh, He wrote a book, a really good book called "Blown for Good." Uh, Mark Headley. He was in the audio video department of Scientology, and he was talking about, you know, look, if these people really wanted to disseminate Scientology, they would make an app for your phone. They would do uh, like audio books instead of uh these these outdated cds but yeah. it's not about that that it's 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 about you know and, and that's another thing elron hubbard wrote in his uh lectures uh he wrote how to you know how to clean windows and how to clean ashtrays you're supposed to clean windows with newspaper blah blah, blah. that's still how they do it to this day because that's how elron hubbard said to do it <laughs> they still the- they still print shit out on mimeographs because that's what the technology that was around in 1950 <laughs> when elron hubbard was printing shit out and he decided that that's the best thing to do it on because he didn't know that microsoft word existed because yeah. it didn't exist yeah. but because that would he be said like it if- if Christians or people who believe in other uh, religions that aren't Scientology 
we're still like doing things the same way like the exact same way yeah like wearing were, like sandals and, made of wood and leather straps yeah. and having the men having to like you know grow their actually there are some some branches of christianity where the women aren't allowed to cut their hair in fact westboro yeah. baptist church was uh was like that um the women couldn't cut their hair and they they had some they had to like cover their heads for church and all that that's another fucking cult that i am old, infinitely fascinated in and i i don't know if you guys realize this or not but uh fred phelps he's been dead he died a couple years ago like the the leader and he never appointed uh a successor uh but i believe steve drain i believe i believe he has headed up the church and apparently they've they've relaxed their uh god hates fag rhetoric and it's saying their signs say shit nowadays like repent the end is coming shit like that the venomous and vitriolic nature of the signs has really died down um and apparently another family has joined recently too i try to keep up with uh that that cult as much as i can as well i just fucking love (laughs) cults man i love the extreme ways of believing that people then then we've definitely got to definitely i uh, cover wild wild country yeah i gotta rewatch that one that one that one was another one that's interesting all right so let's so anyway i don't have much else to say yeah uh, um i i don't recommend watching this i don't even re- like see the the uh alien documentary that we covered uh i absolutely I, recommend watching that yeah i would recommend watching extra because it, it is a complete train wreck this it's not even worth it for the so bad it's good factor. It's just not, it's just bad. Because, like, even the stuff that makes you laugh, it makes you laugh once just because of how awkward the edits are. Yeah. It's not something that you're going to, like, remember and, like, rewatch and, and find to be hilarious the second time around. All right. So I'll give you a Josh Flower, a really long entry, and we'll cut it off. Uh, we'll shut her down. Um, this is the perks of being a Josh Flower. Uh, you probably already know at this point what this segment is about, but I found my diary that I wrote in for almost 10 years, a couple months back, and I've been reading posts out of this diary for the past 20 episodes or so, past 30 episodes, I think. Um, and so this is yet another um, reading from uh, my diary when I was a teenager. Um, again, my, the beliefs and views expressed in this do not reflect on how I feel as Josh, the 32 year old, this is dumb ass, ignorant Josh at like 16 or 17. So like David Dobrik, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this is from Sunday, June 8th, 2008. Hello, Zengazan. It's Josh once again. I come to you today with another one of my grievances of life. Well, the problem all started Wednesday night at work. I was working persistently. We were pretty slow, though, so I was sitting around a lot. Well, How are you working persistently if it's slow and you're sitting around? I was working persistently. We were pretty slow, though, so I was sitting around a lot. I guess I meant I was physically at at work a lot, but I wasn't actually working. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well... (laughs) They're at work. Oh, I know what this post is about before even finishing this. Well, they're they're at work. They have these four TV screens suspended from the ceiling of the food court. And they play the same damn advertisements over and over. In this one, in this one ad with this cheesy guitar riff got stuck in my head. 
At first, it was innocent. I went home and hardly even thought about it. But I was sitting on the couch and watching my brother play his video game, and then all of a sudden, I heard a noise that reminded me of this guitar riff. So then the guitar riff popped into my head, but this time it was more violent, almost as if to say, I'm uh. he- almost as if to say, I'm here to stay. So I went to take a shower with this riff repeating in my head. Then the bad part, it really started worrying me. I turned the shower on and then the white noise effect of the water seemed to facilitate a playground for my mind to wonder. When I got into the shower with the water, the noise seemed to get louder in my head. But at this point, it seemed as though I could actually perceive this noise outside my head, like it was going on around me. It had then taken on a life of its own. I became nervous. I started to sweat. I'm sure I was sweating, even though I was in the shower. I instantly thought, oh, shit, insanity. Here it comes for me again. You know, thoughts pop up all the time in people's heads for no apparent reason. And if I just shrugged off the thought, I would have been fine. But I gave in. I gave it so much validation by thinking upon it and having such a negative reaction to it. So that was it. I had created a monster. The hours that preceded this event would shape, would come to shape the next few days of my life. All I could think about was this fucking five-second guitar riff. I literally could not force any other thought in my head. This thought had become an obsession. And anxiety was quickly moving in on me. Pretty soon, I was reduced to a semi-vegetative state of self-absorption. This sound actually embedded itself into the ba- all background noises I would hear. It wasn't at the forefront of my hearing range, but I would watch TV and I would not be concentrating on the TV at all. I would be intently listening to background noises that, at that time, sounded to me like the guitar riff. This started really bought to really bother me i felt like i couldn't get a hold on this sound i called my girlfriend caroline and started talking to her outside but she knew my mind was not on her and it wasn't i could only give her half of my concentration the other half was trying to listen out for a noise that was in my head and not even based in reality the conversation was just kind of me half talking to her then when we got off the phone, I muted the TV and looked and really took notice of the fact that I could not actually hear this sound and that it was not uh, and that it was really only in my head. So I treated it like the last time I got a song stuck in my head and just figured that it sucks, but I would get over it. So that night I got to sleep pretty decently and the next day it's something I was concerned about. But bottom line was that it really wasn't affecting me that that much. I started to blow it off, but still gave respect. Uh, but still gave respect to that night and how bad I felt. It was like a serious anxiety attack that only that was only caused because of a noise. So the days rolled by. The next day, I went to Caroline's house and we had fun, and I virtually forgot about the noise. Every now and then, I would it's almost like the hum. Yeah, the mystery hum. Every now and then, I would <laughs> hear it in something, but I did not obsess over it. And then Saturday came. I had to go back to work the place where the sound first affected me. So I go in Saturday hoping not to hear this sound and hoping I could just ignore the TV advertisement lest the noise gets put in my head again from hearing it on the TV. So on my way back to work, I was kind of depressed. I knew that, I knew that knowing me, I would probably fall into the same trap I did Wednesday night. So I clock into work and I was already really nervous, just not wanting to be there. So I go in the front, and after a few, sure enough, the sound did the masking technique, and this is what gets me 
the most annoyed about this sound. It's already stuck in my brain, I guess. And if I'm in a place where there's a lot of noise, and especially at the Orange Park Mall, I just think I hear like it's an actual noise. Say, or like, like say the noise. Oh my God, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. Like, (laughs) say the notes of the noise in my head of C-sharp and G or something like that. If a refrigerator or freezer in the background is giving off that same pitch of the noise, my brain will automatically pick those notes out and play this noise in my head, and it will seem like I'm really hearing it. So it freaks me out, for lack of better words. And when I was at work, that's like all I could think about. So the whole day, I was just tormented by this noise in my head. It brought on extreme anxiety and everything that went along with it. Loss of appetite, feelings of depression and hopelessness, nervous stomach, weakness, fatigue, easily startled, and tiredness. I was drained. All the while realizing that the only reason any of this shit is happening is because my brain, for some reason, locked onto the sound and its inner sanctum and the distress alarm has been activated. So Saturday night... I go home defeated and sad, just wanting to cry and for this thing to fuck off. I just take my shower, same old story. I hear this thing like it's a real damn sound. I try to watch TV, but it did not cure me like it did Wednesday night. This thing was stuck. I sought advice. Uh, I sought my brother for advice and sympathy. He said that the same thing happens to him. He just does stuff to get uh, his mind off it. But I don't believe it happens to him as bad as it does me. So that really didn't get me anywhere. Then I told my dad about it. He said that stuff happens to him too and I shouldn't worry about it. And the only reason it scares me is because I think there is something wrong with me when I think these thoughts over and over, which I believe to be true. But the other night was just hell. All I wanted to do was talk to Caroline, but what could she do for me? I couldn't even give her my full attention anyway, so I decided to just deal with it. Uh, I fell asleep surprisingly easily, probably because I was so worn out from all the worry and anxiety. The next day, Sunday, I told my mom about my problem before I went into work, and she said I should wear earplugs at work so I wouldn't hear the commercial. That would have never worked, so I, I, or I would have looked like an idiot, but I brought them with me just to make her happy. I felt like no one knew what I was going through, but then I looked on the internet under obsessive compulsive disorder, and sure enough, one of the symptoms was repeated songs, sounds, or thoughts, and that was true, and they described my symptoms to a T. So after reading that, I gave myself the diagnosis of having OCD. That made me feel a little better. At least I thought I had something. So I went back to work Sunday, and it was pretty much more of the same. I was just nervous and uncomfortable. It got so bad at one point that I thought I was going to straight up leave the store and go home. But then it got good enough for me to at least deal with it so I could work. But the whole day, too, that whole day, too, the thought just ran through my head the whole time. But I must admit, the intensity was a little less. I still heard the sound just as much, but I think my body uh, had slightly adapted to that. I didn't eat, though. I still had no appetite, and my stomach was kind of giving me problems, too. When I went home, I bought Subway, but found I did not have the appetite to eat it. I felt so sorry for myself, and I wanted to just cry. I just knew I was going crazy, but I kept thinking back to the internet article and OCD and how those were the same symptoms I had, but I felt isolated. Then I called Caroline that night and started talking to her about all my anxieties uh, slowly. I started talking to her and all my anxiety slowly started disappearing. Then it got to where I was concentrating more on her than the symptoms of my OCD attack. I soon gained my appetite back and ate half of my sandwich and even a Christmas tree snack. After I got off the phone with her, I fell right to sleep. And today I woke still slightly thinking about the noise, 
but it seemed to have become less worse today, and I have things to tell myself to make me feel better, like it's just my OCD, and, quote, if I need to, I would just stay in bed my whole life, and, quote, when that Tool song got stuck in my head, I was scared too, but I made it through, and I have enjoyed many days since then. Jeez, I'm about to fucking cry even reading this shit. This is so fucking sad. So it I, is. So I, I think it will just take some time and more effort on my part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't really want to, like, relive this fucking moment. Yeah. It's all right. I can do it. So I think it would just take some time and more effort on my part to figure out what is going on with me. But one thing that does concern me is going back to work. How am I going to work under those conditions? So so I do totally forget about the riff. Well, that fucking advertisement is there constantly reminding me of it. But do I quit my job just because of a sound on an advertisement? Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that mean I'm going crazy? Or letting this problem take control of my life? I mean, I hate my job, but if I quit, I want to make sure it's only because I hate my job and not because of a noise or a fucked up mind is making me do it. So I don't know what I'm going to do because Friday and Sunday is Black Friday weekend. I will be working from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Who knows what I will be working Sunday. I hate people when they are in shop mode. They may be good people outside of the mall but while was this still the the uh rap place yeah great raps but while they're in the mall i fucking hate them and now i want them to die they are so selfish and about me 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 where is my food how can you give me a discount where can i what what can i get for my fat fucking face now 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 no time to think i fucking hate this job i hate and i hate uh, Abe, that was the name of my boss. He's such a ghetto ass motherfucker. He's running this business into the ground because he's cheap and rude and customers hate him. Now I'm getting all worked up and I believe I've spent an hour typing this damn entry, so I'm gonna leave now. If you read this whole thing, good for you, seriously. You're an, you are awesome and must not have anything to do in life at all, or maybe you care about me a lot or, or this just fascinates you. Either way, good for you. I'm tired of fucking typing, so I'll see you later with my next big complaint. See ya. God damn. Wow, that, that's a novel. Yeah, I know. I don't. I, I wasn't ready to fucking revisit that painful part of my fucking but, life um, where I was, where I had no con, I had no perspective over my 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 budding mental disorder. I had, yeah. I had I, no, I, 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 yeah. I mean that that had to be really difficult. I mean, I've had moments. Uh, uh, and I still have moments where I have a certain song or certain theme that plays in my head, but I guess my mindset is I I don't mind it as long as it's something that I like. It's a <laughs> you know if it's something dude, that it's like a, it's a mental illness. It's 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 yeah. not it's not like I, I get songs stuck in my head too, but I know the difference between a normal song getting stuck in my head and an OCD level like exactly. I call it, now I call it sticky brain. Uh, yeah. between sticky brain and normal, you know, songs well, I don't, stuck in my I head. don't necessarily know if mine is normal either, because it, it, it normally lasts for days. And, <clears throat> you know, for instance, I have, like, a certain part of the score from the movie The Deep that's just always in the background, like, playing in the back of my head. 
but I like that piece of music, so it's not as bothersome to me. If it's something that I don't like, if it's some fucking song from work, and I'm just like, why? Just go. <laughs> that that can make me definitely raise my anxiety level. I'm a little bit more uh, uh, um, irritable. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's, it's really, it's, like, um, it's really upsetting how, how, how much I let this shit fuck with my yeah. life. You well, know, I mean, when I was when I was younger, didn't necessarily know the context of things. No, that, I had so. I had no I had no like info. I had no intel. I had no coping mechanisms that were. And everyone else around, you know, you'd ask them, and they'd be like, "Oh, it's nothing." Because they didn't have they so that, they weren't yeah. mental. They didn't have what I had. I I needed like yeah. a good fucking qualified there. I needed older me to help younger me. Yeah. I needed older me to be like, "Look, dude, this is how you." This is how you navigate this, you know. Or a qualified ther- you know, therapist. I mean, I can speak <laughs> from experience that that's helped me tremendously. Like uh, it's I all just about finding the right person. Like all but... the fucking years and and months of my life that I wasted, like worrying and being scared and mm-hmm. being fearful when it was just you know. Nowadays, I, you know, I have phobias. I have things that pop up, but overall, I, I'm fucking pretty happy in life. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, you know, like, it just makes you want to give, uh, you know, old Josh a hug. And yeah, I just, you know, I just wish I could just go back and, 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 and have the tools to not be fucked in the head. And, and who knows what, like, I feel you. I feel you. I wish I could go back and have the knowledge that I have now, you know, cause that's what's so sad about was, people who kill themselves at that age. Cause it's like, dude, it, it, I, it, it can get better. It can get so much oh, yeah. better. Like to where <laughs> I was so trapped inside a shell, like to the point where I was just scared of a lot of, of pretty much any social interaction. Um, I I I wish that I had the confidence now, confidence then that I have now. I just want you motherfuckers out would... there to know that I never get emotional about shit, and and this is <laughs> triggering me for some reason, and this is just as alien to me as it is for you listening to it. Because I never get emotional. I talked about my dad's death on this podcast and did not get emotional. I don't think I might have, but yeah, you did get. You, I, I remember you getting a little emotional. But like, about that. I just, I guess I'm getting emotional because I remember the pain and the mm-hmm. mental anguish I went through, and just how like bad it was and how it could have been. Well, it's also avoided. how helpless that situation is. Yeah, I mean, re- you know. I mean, at the time, at the time with with my, you know, 18, 19 year old brain, I yeah, there was helplessness. I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't I had nothing. I had I didn't know anything about anything. You know, and and it's like you know, I, how many people out there are in that same situation, you know, that I could be helping potentially. Yeah. I mean, and I wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, when I dealt with the with the mental breakdown with my stepfather, that wasn't really the same scenario, but it was a similar thing of like feeling helpless. Like, what, what, what is there I can do? I can't do anything. You know, I can't snap him out of it. I can't do this. You know, and so it's wow. a similar sort of thing where it's like I can't snap because you, you, you probably felt like I want to stop. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't stop. The funny thing about what I was going through with with my particular case or, or with 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 OCD in particular, uh, 
if you're having an obtrusive thought that bothers you, uh, reacting with that knee-jerk reaction is about as effective as trying to yank your finger out of a Chinese finger trap. Yeah. The only thing that happens when you knee-jerk to a trigger is it just makes it so much worse. Yeah, you probably have other thoughts in your head where, okay, initially it was like it was just, uh, just I want this to stop, but now you're having stop, 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 plus all this other stuff. So it's all combined. What your brain does when you have a knee-jerk reaction to a thought, what your brain does, and you, it's, it's just by nature, your brain records that thought as, oh, that's important because you yeah. reacted so strongly to it. So let's make sure we record that thought and don't forget it ever because that must be really important. Now, the evolutionary purpose of that structure in the brain dates back to when we were primitive and you went by a lake and saw a lion and you freaked the fuck out. So your brain recorded that at that lake, it, it's bad stuff because there was a lion there and it's, it was to help you survive so you would avoid that area. Well, we still have that primitive wiring in our brains, but we're not surrounded by lions and threats like that. We're surrounded by commutes to work and, and um, uh, having to work a lot at our jobs and stress from other people and interpersonal relationships. Things that are not threatening to our lives, but our brain still treats them as though they are that lion that can attack you. So you react in the same way. And so that's how these you know, a, a, a obsessive and these compulsions, that's how they get recorded in your brain. It's a result of this primitive wiring. So basically now I know, which I didn't at the time, you just don't react. You just allow mm. it to happen. You you know what it is. You're 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 armed with information, so you're not afraid. And then you don't react. And then, hey, look at that. It's not affecting me. Yeah. But when I was younger, um, it was like knee-jerk to the max. Fear. Yeah. Ignorance. I don't know what's happening. Ah, panic. Yeah. Like the absolute yeah. opposite things you're supposed mm -hmm. to do to treat yeah. that. It, it's like uh, what happens when uh, if I go to therapy and they're like, if you have running thoughts, it's like, you know, when, when you have running thoughts... The, the best thing to do is to try not to give them a lot of power. Because once you give them power, then they just steamroll over you. What I do, because to say, to, to say don't give the thought power is easier said than done, what I tell myself nowadays is, uh, is, is I say, like, say I have a reoccurring song going through my head or something or some kind of OCD tick. What I tell myself is, that's fine. Just let it happen. You know, it'll, it, it'll, um, it'll go away as soon as you lock onto something else and you know you yeah. will. Yeah, that, that's, that's the point I'm making is like, you know, by not giving it power, it's like you're not giving it more fuel. Right. So you're not, like, you know, you're not, you're just, you just realize, ah, uh, it's there, but. Yeah, you accept it. You accept yeah. that it's happening. You accept it. You, you you don't fight it you let it run its don't course don't trigger the fight or flight right exactly <laughs> and you you're armed with the knowledge that uh, this has happened to me before and i've had a lot of great times after this so i know this yeah. this moment but you didn't is, have that i didn't have that back then i didn't have that oh. experience and that knowledge it was all brand new 
Brand new adventures on the on the horizon for old Joshy. Oh God, man! I can't believe how fucked up I used to be. I for, I intentionally forgot about that, but as soon as I started reading, uh, I mean, there's probably. Lo- I'm glad I didn't write any diaries because I probably have a lot of shit that I have just blocked away and don't remember. Yeah, from from my childhood. I mean, I knew about that. I didn't forget about. It. I knew about that moment, but but like the the excruciating detail that I forced myself to mm-hmm. document in that Zanga post really like brought back a lot of. It's therapy, Josh. Welcome to therapy. Jesus <laughs> yeah, my better. How did that help me? <laughs> it just made me upset. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, sometimes it helps because it puts you puts things into perspective somewhere. Yeah, no, it really did. It put in perspective just how much I've grown in in being yeah. able to cope with my own mental bullshit. Exactly. I think that's a positive. It, yeah. And I think that emotional release is also another positive because that's something that came up from the basement. It did. And you oh, were able did. to get out. It did come up from the basement. And, and, and instead of having it just stay there... I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was there. I didn't know. Problems. I didn't know yeah. that feeling was down there, but it was yeah. apparently. Feeling bad for and my now, old self. <laughs> you know that there's a lot of benefits to that, to letting that out instead of just keeping it in there, keeping it in storage. So, uh, sorry, Eggman. I hope that wasn't too boring for you. Me talking about myself too much. Uh, just you know, exercising some of my childhood demons. Hope that wasn't too uninteresting there. Fucking as you're as you're driving your fucking green beans to fucking Chattahoochee or wherever you're driving it to. Truck driving person. My dad was a truck driver, so I'm allowed to make jokes about truck drivers. Um, all my right. Dad's a truck driver. My stepdad was a truck driver. <clears throat> yeah, my dad was a truck driver for King Provision, who drove the supplies to the Burger Kings. Uh, my stepdad he drove for Warner Enterprises. He drove for. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other place he was driving for for a while. He was a car hauler. He did a lot, a lot, a lot of that. Um, and my uh, dad, he uh, he drove for a lot of different places. Like McLean was one of them, I think. And he's uh, driven for places for local food deliveries to like uh, convenience stores and and. Uh, and fast food places and stuff like that. So, right on. All right, let's uh, let's put a uh, let's put a zipper on this uh, fucking roller let's put coaster. This podcast and park. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this this roller coaster of this this phone booth of emotion. Uh, all right, so if you want to join our Facebook group where you can see pictures of Eggman and you want to participate in a healthy group discussion. Uh, you can do that by going to facebook.com, go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, hit the groups tab, and you'll be able to find us. I trust that you're a smart enough lad or lass that you'll be able to figure it out. If you want to donate to us on Patreon, um, you'll definitely benefit from that this week because I'll have the podcast out early. Um, it's patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, you can um, tell us what you want to cover what you want us to cover on the podcast for $5 a month. And for $3 a month, you get the podcast early and you also get that. You get it early for $5 a month as well. Whatever shop, you'll figure it out. Um, and then our YouTube channels, I guess, uh, if you want to check us out separately and you want to know who we are as people outside of this podcast, 
Uh, you can do so by uh, checking out our YouTube channels. Mike's a big movie guy. He's a movie fanatic. Um, he talks about movies. And his YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Once again, that's youtube.com slash OCP communications. Michael, what was the last video you did? So last videos I uploaded uh, were a tribute, uh, a look back at, at the life and the career of Richard Donner, a director who did Superman the movie, he did Lethal Weapon 1 through 4, he did The Omen, he also directed The Goonies. Uh, he passed away uh, a couple days ago, so oh, yeah. I wanted to do a tribute to him. Yeah, someone else was and, talking about that. And uh, then I did a review of Jaws, because I watched that and Jaws 2 on 4th of July, because I'm not really into fireworks. That's not really my thing. I did not like any I'm fireworks. More, I'm more into the shark exploding. To me, it's not 4th of July until the shark explodes. Nice. All right, if you want to add my YouTube channel, it is youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. Once again, that is youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. Uh, my band is of the same name. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, and all that. The last video I did on my channel was actually... Uh, a few hours ago, I did a live stream hangout. Uh, people asked me questions that ranged from music to unsolved mysteries to video games. I showed you my record collection. Um, I did not cry on the live stream, unlike the podcast. Um, so yeah, it's a, it was a good hangout. But I also do videos on music and reviews on music and TV shows and video games. It's a and there's also some music videos on there from my band. So it's a nice trail mix of uh goodness until next time i gotta fucking piss like a racehorse and i'm starving uh have a good rest of your week bye see ya